You don't have to get quiet yet. We have another few seconds. But it takes Tracy a little while to get settled. Now, yeah. All right. Good evening, everyone. Hope y'all are having a good week. I, um, I have some special guests with me tonight. And so I've got to be much more careful about what I say. I know I've been making fun of my in-laws a lot, but they're visiting tonight. So, and if you ask them, they don't say, oh, we're here with Stephen and Emily, or we're Stephen's mother-in-law. What they'll say is, we're Emily's parents. Can you blame them? I mean, you can't blame them, can you? So, uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, William and Sherry Phillips, are up from Nashville visiting Emily, and I happen to live in the same house, so I get to visit with them as well. So, it's a, it's a good visit. We keep telling them the same thing y'all told us for five months. The weather's going to get better. The weather's going to get better. We'll see if that holds out. Jack even told them that your raspberries are the reason we've had so much rain. Yeah. All right. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we humbly bow before you, acknowledging you as our God and creator. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word, your message to us, your will for us. May we... Have some time tonight to spend in your word that will help to encourage us, teach us, and uplift us. Help us, Lord, in our discussion, and may we gain the things from your word that you would have us to learn. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord. It's through your son's name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so to, uh, as I mentioned last week, we're going to be talking about the 10th plague and the Passover this week. And so I've got a few notes on that. And we'll see how far we get. Um, I'm hoping you'll have some comments. I have some things I would like to um, use this discussion to bridge us into other topics as well. Um, but I, I welcome any comments. If at some point I'm not looking up or acknowledging you, um, throw something at me or just start speaking and I'll figure out where you are. So, Or Pat, he does a good job of watching. So, All right, Exodus chapter 12. So Exodus chapter 12. So we've gone through the nine plagues, right? Moses has gone through this. God has hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's lied a few times. Yes, I'll let him go. No, I'm not going to let him go. We've talked about the fact that this isn't a surprise to God. We don't get to plague number 10 because the first nine didn't work, right? The first nine didn't fail. It wasn't like God said, well, goodness, I've got to come up with the 10th one now. and you know, Maybe I'll do 11 or 12 if we need them. God makes it clear all along, I'm going to do something at the end that's the big deal. I'm going to do something at the end that's going to accomplish something. It's going to tell everybody who I am. It's going to allow Egypt to set you free. Pharaoh is going to beg you to leave. And as you leave, you're going to plunder the country. So God had predicted this all along. God said this is what's going to happen. Before we get to the plague, God comes in and brings Moses in and says, I want you to do a feast, a meal, because tonight's the night, okay? Tonight's the night. And so he establishes what we would call the Passover feast. And the Jews continue to remember that feast all the way up into the times of Christ, right? In fact, uh, we'll talk about it tonight. When Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, he was, in fact, eating the Passover meal, right? That's what he was. He was remembering what God establishes here in Exodus chapter 12, okay? And so God starts to give them the, the details of the feast, 
and he gives them the details of the feast for the years to come. Uh, for example, he tells them what month and what day it would be remembered each year. But as we talk about uh, the Passover meal, the Passover feast, what can you tell me about the specifics of what God gives them? Right, he, he acknowledges those and blesses those who have the Passover with him, right? What else? What specifics? Could they eat anything they wanted? So bread, anything particular about the bread? Unleavened, right? In fact, he will later say, now they couldn't do it at this time because they didn't have enough warning, for seven days you will remove all the leaven from the household, right? Unleavened bread, okay, what else? The specific bitter green herbs, bitter herbs, right? A specific herb, yep, what else? Yeah. Lamb roasted with fire, particular way, right? It's a particular way you're going to cook this lamb, right? Anything particular about the lamb? Yeah. Year old, male, firstborn, without blemish, and it's going to, we're going to talk about what it represents, right? Tonight, that'll be pretty easy, but, okay. Yeah, don't do it like you normally do it. You leave it intact, Right? Don't field dress it is what we might say if you used to hunting or don't gut it. Sorry, don't mean to be graphic, but everybody's got a certain number of days. If you don't have a big enough family or if you have too big of a lamb or whatever it is, you combine households, you combine people. There are specific specific instructions. Remember anything they're supposed to be wearing? Yeah. Dressed, ready to go, shoes on their feet. They need their robes, their sash, their cane. Okay. So I want you to think about all of those things. I'm trying to, let me see. Uh, you don't have wasted. You're going to eat it quickly. Okay. Kill it at twilight. And I think we hit everything else. Yeah. Okay. So why all these specifics? Did God just say, you know what, I'm going to make it tough on you. You know what, I'm going to arbitrarily give you. Why all these specifics? Do what? Okay, so some of the, that's a good point. So some of these specifics, or all of these specifics, are leading to Jesus. So remember, this is where God is going to establish Jesus in the Passover feast, the Lord's Supper, I mean, this memorial, right? Good. Well, there, oh, meaning and purpose. Boy, that's going to be a word we're going to talk about a little bit tonight, okay? So why were they dressed and in their sash? He's about to send them out of a country, and they don't have time to get up and go get dressed. He said, you need to be ready to go, because guess what? When this happens, after midnight, you know what Pharaoh's going to say? Go. Not, hey, can you guys leave next week? They're leaving before sunlight. They are walking out of the country. You need to be ready to go, right? So when you look at the the specifics, this is what I would say when God gives specifics. It may be for a specific remembrance, memorial, right? I want you to remember something. So um, he gives them specifics about how they're going to do it, and then he says, when you remember this in the future, you'll remember that I had you leave quickly, that I had you ready to go, right? 
um, there may be so there may be a specific reason. Think about God's laws. Why did He say the laws of cleanliness when somebody has certain rashes? When somebody has certain diseases, and God's like, put them out of the camp for a certain period of time. Those were arbitrary. No, right? So prior to the 19th century, late in the 19th century, what was the number one cause of death among mankind? Infectious disease, okay? Over half of all mankind, if it wasn't at a time of war, where they died in war, even then, though, in war, infectious disease was actually a killer more than war was. So number one cause of death was infectious disease. So God establishes these Old Testament laws, and some of them are about how you go to the bathroom, how you stay apart when you're sick, when you're infectious. Right? The one I love to use, and I use it in my evidences class when I talk about that, why did God say circumcise on the eighth day? Yeah. Blood clotting, yeah. It's about vitamin K. I can tell you, I'm a urologist. I have been consulted on a newborn baby that was a hemophiliac, and they didn't know it, and they circumcised the boy. He nearly bled to death. We struggled for days to keep him alive. And if you do that on a newborn, you will kill about one in four. So God says, wait eight days. Now, do you think he went to all the Israelites and said, wait eight days, because there's a blood clotting factor that your liver has to take five to seven days to make? Or do you think he said, wait eight days? Yeah, that's right. So sometimes it is for their own benefit. Sometimes there's a specific purpose. Other times, doesn't God give instructions that are symbolic? Okay, so why are we baptized? Well, let me ask this. What does the word baptism mean? Right, there is no English word baptism until the 17th century, right? It was a completely made-up word. It was made up by the translators because they found a problem. The problem was they're translating the Bible, and they're about to put something in the Bible that the king that authorized them to translate it hadn't done. He was sprinkled. And so being good translators, they lied. So the word baptism is a made-up word. Baptizo means, if you translate it, it means immersion, right? There is no debate. There's nobody who reads the word baptizo in Greek and says, that means sprinkling. doesn't happen. Okay? It means immersion. So why do we immerse? Well, we have to. It's symbolic. God gives us a command. We do it because he commanded it, but it's symbolic, right? It has to do with that death, burial, and resurrection. There's a purpose behind it, but it's not necessarily for our health. Sometimes it's purely about remembrance or memorial, right? We'll talk about that tonight. Sometimes it could be a test. Does God ever give instructions that are purely a test? Can you think of an example? To the, it, I think of a couple of stories that come up, but can you think of one? Remember somebody that... Oh, Abraham's a good one, right. You know, the first one I wrote down was Naaman. Remember he had to go to the Jordan? Right. Why did he dip seven times? God couldn't, God couldn't heal him until the seventh time. No. God could have healed him without the Jordan River. He could have healed him without him being dipped, and he certainly didn't need to be dipped seven times, but God wanted to see, are you going to go do what I asked you to do? Let's march around the city of Jericho. Did God need them to march around the city? No. Did he need them to march seven times? No. He needed them to do what he said to do. He needed them to be able to. So there's times when he instructs us to do things for our obe- as a test. 
Now, I'll admit, we don't always know why God tells us to do some of the things we do. Okay? So, here's my first lesson. God has a specific way in which he wants us to approach him and worship him. Right? Passover feast. He has a specific way. And it's not my job to say, that's not the right way, God. You know, that just doesn't make sense to me. God has a specific way. And I'm not saying that everything that's commanded has to be done exactly the way it's written in the Bible, because sometimes we see multiple examples of things. We'll talk about that. We see Jesus pray multiple ways. So we don't say the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Why don't we say that prayer exactly that time? Well, because we understand when we see him pray in the garden, when we see him give thanks for the bread, we see him pray different ways, so we know that's not a binding rule. But there are sometimes he tells us things, and what we have to say is, God is God, and I'm not. So God has specific ways he wants us to worship him or to do things. This was to be roasted, the, the lamb in the example in the Passover, not boiled, not raw, specific way you clean it, specific way you put herbs on it, specific way you cook it, specific thing you do when it's left over. I don't know why all of those existed. I can't tell you why it's bitter herbs. But maybe it's the bitter that they're supposed to remember from where they were to where they're going. Maybe it's supposed to be cooked a certain way so that it doesn't go bad. It's less likely to make them sick before they travel. I don't know. But what I do know is God had a specific reason, right? And God put it there. God has always specified what he wants and why he wants it when he needs to. And he other times specifies and says, do it. And then other times he doesn't specify, and it gives us uh, uh, the ability to make, to make our own decisions. For example, what time of day do we have to worship on Sunday? Everybody knows it doesn't matter, right? doesn't matter at all. We do know we're supposed to worship every Sunday. Could we also come together and worship on Saturday or Monday? Sure. But we're going to worship on Sunday, right? That's what, we, that's what we've got to do. Here's the problem that comes up when I think of the Passover feast. God, I just like fried lamb better than I like roasted lamb, so I'm going to fry it. I mean, it's easier, and then I can take the chunks with me. Is there anything wrong with that? Well, yeah. Why did God specify what he wanted him to do if it didn't matter? Or why didn't he say you can roast it or fry it? Now, again, I'm not saying every word is a binding only applying to that word because we have to look at, we can't take one text, right? We can't take one scripture out of context. But it becomes troublesome when I start doing the I think we should God, it would be better if so let's use some modern day examples. Why do we not have a band up front? Now here's the common answer you'll get. Well, the safest thing, nope, no, 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 no. I don't think it's the safest thing. Here's what I can tell you. The first century church, 100% sure, I can guarantee you, did not have an instrument. We have writings from the first century that say those Christians would think it pagan to have an instrument in worship, just like the Jews did. The Jews didn't have an instrument either. Second century church, did they use instruments at all? Zero churches in the world used instruments in the second century, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. When was the first time instruments were introduced into corporate worship? Anybody know? around 1140 A.D., and that church was burned down. 
instrumental worship did not become common until 1850 years after the church was established. It did not become the norm until uh, 1900 years after the church was established. It did not become above average in the United States until the 1950s. So I don't think it's a matter of, well, God didn't specify. God tells us how to sing. He tells us how to worship. And we know the first century church didn't do it. So the problem becomes when I say, I think we would sound better. Here's what I can tell you 100%. God doesn't care how we sound, right? If so, he would have angels singing to him every Sunday morning. He wouldn't ask his people on earth that have bad voices, right? You think God needs us to sing so that he can be entertained? That's not the purpose, right? So we know there are certain things that we have to be really careful. Why do we not have women leading in worship? Well, it's a cultural... We actually get an explanation. Paul says, this is why women are not to take leadership roles in certain positions. He goes back to the curse and the fall of man. It's not arbitrary. It's not cultural. And so what we have to say is when God gives us certain specifics, I may or may not agree with it. I may or may not understand why. But God is God, and I am not. And so what I try to tell myself is when we start doing things, I always ask why are we doing it? Now, this is not a flippant questioning of God. I'm not talking about, God, why do you have us baptizing people? No, 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 no. But everything that we do in worship, everything we do as a church, I ask, what's the purpose? Okay? We're doing this because God commanded it. That may be an adequate answer, right? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So that's a good question. The question is, when it's not clear in Scripture, okay, so God says worship on Sunday, what time of day, different thing. It could be trivial, it can be a big deal. Where do we get the authority to approve those decisions, okay? So a a couple of things. Number one is, when we see variation in Scripture in certain things, then that would tell us there's the ability to vary. So again, let's get back to prayer. Why do we not say the Lord's Prayer? It is clear if you take... If you, you have to be careful, right, if you take one verse out of Scripture. If you take a verse out of Scripture, we should be praying the Lord's Prayer as our only prayers, right? Because if I take the verse when Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. That's a direct command. Why would we ever pray differently than exactly what he prayed? Well, it's because we see other examples. So we see Jesus before he feeds the 5,000. He turns his head to heaven and he says a prayer giving thanks for the bread. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane say a prayer that is very different than the Lord's Prayer. And it focuses on one thing. We see Paul when he talks about the way he, I pray for you on behalf of this. I pray that you will, uh, I ask that you pray that doors will be open. So we see Paul giving examples of other things he prays for. So we know that when Jesus says pray, pray like this, it's not a binding because we see Jesus do it differently. We see the apostles do it differently. So anytime the Bible shows variation, we can have variation as long as it doesn't conflict in another way. As far as who has the authority, so we talk about the authority of the elders within the local church to oversee that church, and and that would be applied. But even when a church doesn't have elders, Christians still have the authority to do what is authorized or allowed permissive. We would say that within the Bible. Um, 
I don't know how I can say an individual Christian can have the authority to do X, Y, or Z. I'd have to think on that some. So I'd have to think on that a little. Good question. Other questions about that before I move on? Um, so so I'm, uh, this is a little bit of my, of, of my uh, soapbox because I think about authority and why we do what we do. So again, God has specific ways he wants us to worship him and approach him, right? He has specific ways. And we have to honor those ways. But the next lesson, and they tie together, God wanted his people through this meal. So think about the Passover. God wanted his people to remember what happened. In other words, I have a specific thing I want you to do, but I don't want you to just do this thing. The purpose of the meal was not so that they ate and got ready to leave. Why do, what does God tell them the purpose of the meal? So that you will remember what I did for you. Right? In other words, we have a purpose. God says do X, Y, and Z. But I can do X, Y, and Z and not do what God wanted me to do. Well, wait a minute. You obeyed him. There is a purpose behind it. So I can do X, Y, and Z. If I don't remember what God did as a Jew, right? if I don't remember what God did, I didn't do what God wanted me to do. So we have to, we have to do what God said with the purpose, with the intent. So let's come back to our conversation. We come together on Sunday morning. What is the purpose of us coming together on Sunday morning as a family? Okay, to worship. Is that the only purpose? Take the Lord's Supper, worship, right? But if our only purpose is to worship, and this is something that I grew up thinking differently, okay? And, and you can spend time in 1 Corinthians 14... If you, want to, if you want to have a conversation about this, I would love to, because I want to make sure I'm, I'm thinking clearly. Paul says, when you come together, so let's, let's first of all say this about worship. Can you worship in your life with nobody else around? Absolutely. Worshiping to God, that word means to, let, raise, to, uh, to burn an incense or raise a fragrance to God. I can do that personally. We can do that as a group. But there is a difference between what I do in my personal life and when Paul says, when you come together, and so we sometimes use that term, come together, we see that women are allowed to pray, but when you come together, there's a restriction on what women get to do, right? They can pray, but they're not going to be leading it, right? So there is a difference between come together and individual. So when we come together on Sunday morning, is it just to worship? And this is what I hear. Our primary thing is here to worship. You know, if we encourage one another, that's secondary. No, 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 no. Let's talk about that. Why does 1 Corinthians 14 exist where Paul is talking about their come-together worship? And he says, if you don't have an interpreter, don't let somebody speak in tongues. Well, wait a minute. If it's all about God, God didn't understand what the person speaking in tongues said? Of course he did. The interpreter is not there for God. The interpreter is there for who? Us. Paul says, if what you're doing, let all things be done for building up. The purpose of coming together is to build one another up in worship. Okay? So, I can eat the Passover feast and completely miss what God intended for me to do. I can come together and worship, and I worshiped God, and God says, what you did was unacceptable. Stephen, how can that be? Let all things be done for building up. You could have worshiped at home by yourself. You could have been sitting at home and worshiped, but you didn't worship as a family, and as a family, I want you to build one another up. Otherwise, I wouldn't call you together as a family. Now you're saying, oh, Stephen, it's all about me. No, 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 no. We can't forget to do what God said, 
But come together worship is all about building up and encouraging one another. And everything we do in come together worship must be worship that builds up and encourages one another. Does that make sense? If not, don't do it. Paul says you can come together and you can have the greatest gift of speaking in tongues. And it could be the greatest message. But if it does not build up the congregation, I'm going to paraphrase here, sit down and shut up. He says what you're doing is useless. You might as well be a gong, right? If you don't have the right reason. Now think about that. Why does God limit it to only two or three people prophesying or preaching? God can't keep up with all. Yes, he can. Well, God's going to get bored. No, he's not. God limits it through Paul because he said it's not about God. When you come together, you've got people there. And if I present 12 lessons on Sunday morning, you think those 12 are all going to be building you up? You think you're going to get something out of all 12? Or is your human mind limited in what it can do? And God says, hey, if it's not building up, don't do it. Now, this is challenging for me because that's not the way I grew up. Stephen, you sit down, you be quiet. I don't care if it's boring. I don't care if it's useless. It's worship to God, and that's acceptable. Wrong. That is not biblical worship when we come together. When we come together, we can eat the Passover feast and walk out, and God says, you just wasted your time. So can we come together and have the Lord's Supper and still not be pleasing to God? What does the Apostle Paul say? Yeah. Hey, when you guys come together and y'all eat this meal, (laughs) you miss the boat. What a waste of time. You know what? If you're going to do that, don't come together. Just eat eat at home. Isn't that what he tells them? You have houses to go home and eat at. So when you come together for the Lord's Supper, if all you're doing is going through those motions and you're not thinking about those people around you, quit it quit it. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Paul says, you need to remember the body and blood of Christ. You also need to remember the body of Christ that's sitting around you. And then you need to examine yourself. Right? There's, there's multiple things we're supposed to be doing. So I can come in, I can take that Lord's Supper, thank you God for giving me Jesus, and I can ignore everybody around me and God says, yeah, you just wasted your time. You did not, do, you ate the Passover feast without remembering what I asked you to do. So what that means is when we come together to worship, we should ask about everything that we do. Why are we doing it? Not in a flippant way. God, why do you want us to sing? Why are we singing? Well, we're singing to worship God and to uplift one another. If not, let's quit singing. I'm going to say a prayer that's the most beautiful prayer in the world, and God's going to love it. But if it's meaningless to the people sitting out here, I need to do what Paul said, sit down and shut up. I can pray a great prayer to God, but if it is not encouraging to the group here or, or teaching or edifying or um, um, challenging, then I need to sit down and be quiet, right? So that's a real, that, that, that is very different than what we sometimes do because we are, we are supposed to do X, Y, and Z in worship when we did X, Y, and Z, so we accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And I want to challenge us as a congregation to, to think, you know what? Did we? Or did we eat the Passover feast without remembering what God did for us? Did we eat the Passover feast? And as Jesus says about the Pharisees, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Yeah, They are like whitewashed tombs. They've got this pretty grave on the outside, and they are dead, dying bones on the inside. Right? So can you give your offering and God not accept it? Yeah, don't we see that 
when Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 6? Can you say a prayer and God say, good luck, because the only thing that did for you was what you said in front of everybody else, because I didn't hear it. Yeah, go back to Matthew chapter 6. Remember the person who says, God, look at me, eloquent, all these great things, I've done great things. And Jesus says, yeah, (laughs) why don't you sit down and shut up, because you just ate the Passover feast and didn't remember me, all right? I'm going to ring this bell. Look at what I'm bringing to the offering, God. And Jesus says, yeah, you just wasted your time. And so we have to remember in our worship, I want to challenge us to make sure that we are eating the feast and doing what God intended, and that's remembering what God did for us. And so I, I, I think to myself, people have actually kind of challenged me a little. Some of you know that I'm, I'm very big on trying to improve our time together in worship, Okay. Part of that is when we can do better, we should try to improve in all aspects of our life if we can easily do that. But part of that is this right here. I'm afraid that if we're not careful, we're going to be a checkbox mentality that says, we came together and we ate the feast and we went home. We did X because we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to lead some songs. We're supposed to have a Lord's Supper. We're supposed to have a giving. We're supposed to have a sermon. And then we're supposed to go home. And we accomplished that. And I would challenge us to say, if we're just checking the boxes, we need to not come. And I don't mean individually. I mean us as a congregation. We need to really think about everything that we do, right? So let's, let's why, do we, why do we pass the collection plate? I think most of y'all know I think that's a waste of time. I'm not saying it's sinful. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. But we should ask, why do we do it? And if we do it for a purpose and a reason, let's do it. And if not, let's question whether we should keep doing it. Why do we have two prayers, opening prayer and a closing prayer? I like that. You may like that. Does it have a purpose? Hey, a call to worship? That's great. I don't have a problem with it. But if we're doing it because we always open with a prayer and always close with a prayer, well, let's rethink that. Could you open with a song? Yeah. Don't we do that sometimes? Could you close with a song? Absolutely. Why do we have an opening scripture? In fact, I would challenge. We have an opening scripture that gets comments. We have Lord's Supper comments. We have giving comments. We have a sermon that we pay somebody to put together a good sermon. And then we have a closing scripture with comments. And I would say that's probably a problem for the Apostle Paul. You think you're going to remember all five lessons that were presented to you? You think it's going to have an impact on your life? Or you think you're going to remember one or two and the others were a waste of time? And if so, why are we doing what we're doing? If we're here to worship, let's worship. If we're here to encourage, let's encourage. But let's make sure we question everything we do, not in a flippant way, not in a disrespectful way, and say, am I just eating the Passover feast and not remembering what God wanted me to remember? We should think about everything we do. That's why I've talked to some of the people that lead. We don't want to have people walking from the back of the auditorium to the front because that doesn't benefit the group. It's not building up. It's not encouraging. All right? That's why... We should think about, do we, do we have, remember the, uh, Matthew chapter 6 with the person leading the prayer? Remember the term empty phrases, right? Heaped up empty phrases. I'm here to tell you he doesn't just mean the words we use. Empty phrases can mean the things we do in worship, right? Empty phrases is anything that is either used to draw attention to myself or that I don't have a purpose behind it, Right? Now, I challenge myself on this because I I do what a lot of men do. There is nothing sinful about this, but it's a challenge to me. When we get nervous in front of a group and we're leading a prayer, any of you have those go-to phrases that come out? Nothing wrong with those. But I try to challenge myself to say, you know what, I want everything I say to have a meaning behind it. 
And so when I was 11, I learned the phrase, and we call it the Church of Christ closing prayer phrase, God, God, direct you, protect us, bring us back to the next appointed time. Anything wrong with that? Not a single thing. I think it's a great opportunity. I want God to guide, guard us, guide us, direct us. I want him to help us get back. But at some point as I grow and mature, I try to say, I want to make sure I mean what I'm saying. And I mean that so in my own prayers, I challenge myself when I say, God, I, your will be done. Because I've had times in my life where I'm just putting a rubber stamp. All right, I prayed all these things I wanted. Oh, you know what? Your will be done, God. Okay, now I get them, right? So I don't want anything to be empty. So I challenge those of us who lead to say, again, if you're nervous, if you're not used, nothing wrong with those phrases. But I want to make sure we're thinking about what we're doing, thinking about what we're putting together. I would actually say our time of come together worship can be empty if we don't do something to try to plan it, okay? So I doubt, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Tony. I doubt you just show up on Sunday and think, what am I going to teach today? How often do you do that? Never, right? Because in order for you to edify and encourage and build up, you want to spend time so that you have value there, right? And so when I'm doing something in worship, I'm, I'm not always great about this, but I try to prepare. Not so that I look good. Don't y'all think I do a great job of teaching? I don't care. I don't mean that bad, but it's not about me. But what I want to say is if I'm getting up in front of to lead worship, I don't want to just have the Passover feast and not have the remembrance. And so if I have a prayer, there's nothing wrong with taking notes or writing it down because I don't want to use empty phrases. If I'm going to do the Lord's Supper comments, preparation, or maybe a verse, or maybe this week, instead of just being empty, I'm going to say, you know what? We're going to have a prayer. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. Nothing wrong with that. All right? I don't want, if it's my job to do the closing announcements, oh, I better look up a scripture real quick. That's empty phrases. If I'm just finding a scripture at the last minute and throwing it out there, that is empty phrases. Don't do that. It has a purpose, and if you don't have a scripture, that's okay. So I want to challenge us as a congregation to think about what we do and why we do it. I want to challenge those of us who have the privilege of stepping up and leading in some way to think about what we do and why we do it. Right? I promise you, you would not go to do a presentation at work right? Big presentation. The boss is there. I'm going to wing it. I don't know anything about the topic, but I'm going to show up and wing it, right? You're going to go for a job interview. What company am I interviewing with? I don't even know. We would prepare for everything we did in our lives. If I have an opportunity and a privilege to lead in worship, I should prepare. Wherever it is, leading singing, right? Prayer, and I want to try to get rid of those empty phrases. Again, please don't think the next time somebody says, God, God, direct you, protect us, bring us back to the next point in time, that they've done anything wrong. Okay? Because sometimes that's our natural go-to. But I want us as men, particularly that lead, to really try to eliminate those empty phrases from what we do in our worship so that as a congregation we can come together to eat the Passover meal and remember why it's there. We're not just checking the boxes. Um, all right, so first two lessons together. God has a specific way he wants us to worship and remember him. And God wanted his people to eat the meal and remember. There was a purpose behind it. And then the last lesson that goes along with it, we should make sure that everything we're doing follows the command and meets the intent, right? And that gets back to what we just talked about. Um, our come-together worship can be in a, completely in accordance with God's command and still be a failure if we don't meet the intent. That's what the Pharisees were guilty of. You honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. 
You know, you, you've now before you say, oh, it's more important to have the heart and not do it correctly. Well, let's stop right there real quick. Because when the Pharisees, remember they were tithing their, their mint and their deal, but they, their heart wasn't, they didn't have love. So they got condemned for missing the intent. But did they get condemned for doing what God said, tithing the mint and deal? No. He said, yeah, you're doing that right. Yeah, you got the command part right. Keep, keep tithing. That's what you should have done. But you shouldn't have missed this other part. So I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, it's more important that our heart is right even if we don't do it correctly. No, 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 no. Obedience is still an absolute. Doing it the way God wants it. Because I can have a heart that's right and approach God in the wrong way of worship, and he's going to go, ah, I don't hear you. Right? Oh, I'm not listening to your prayer. Right? He tells us times he's not going to listen to our prayer. He tells us times that our giving is going to be useless. Right? So, so I don't want you to leave here thinking Stephen's saying, your heart and your intent is all that matters. Mm-mm. Yeah. So I think both matter. Right? I think it was uh, Sunday morning. John chapter 4 was read. God is seeking worshipers who worship him in and truth, both. Well, which one's more important? Well, I don't see that they, <laughs> I don't see that they got ranked. And, and we have a tendency to focus on the truth part and miss the spirit, right? So we just have to be careful as a congregation that we are eating the Passover feast and remembering and that we're not missing either one. Comments about that? Questions about that? No disagreements about that? I'll hear about them later, won't I? That's okay. I welcome, I welcome any discussion. So, um, so this is, I've, got a, I've actually got a line here that says, this is Stephen speaking, so please understand, this is Stephen. This isn't inspired. This isn't directly found in Scripture, and this is not the eldership speaking. I want to make sure I clarify. The elders, there's three elders, so no one elder can speak. Right? No, when one elder speaks, that is not the eldership ever. Right? Stephen speaking. I believe if and when we don't make an effort to plan our worship, we could be guilty of empty phrases, right? Eating the feast without the intent. I believe if we don't make an effort in how we order it, the types of songs, the reasons behind doing what we do, when we say things that don't matter or that are unnecessary, that we could be guilty of doing empty phrases because we would never go into a meeting, a classroom to teach, an interview without thoughtfully planning. So why in the world would we come to worship without thoughtfully planning? So that applies to us as a congregation and those that lead, but I would also say it applies to all of us who show up to worship. Right? Again, you would never show up to an important class and not know, is this algebra class or history class? Now, you might, as a, you know, as a fifth grade, I had a brother that couldn't tell you whether he even took algebra the year he did. Right, so I'm not talking about that as a kid. I'm talking about, as an adult, we would never show, you know, oh, we got a big business meeting tomorrow. They told me what it was about, but I don't, we would prepare for anything like that. So as a congregation and individually, we need to make sure we've prepared for worship in the same way. You know, that... We get a bulletin, and so I'm not great about it, but I try to look and see what the topic's going to be, or I try to look and see what the songs are, or I try to pray to get my mindset ready starting the night before. Do you have to do all that? No, I'm just saying I do things to try to prepare, and I'm not great about it, and I try to do better at it. 
But I think all of us need to be more conscious of that. And those of us leading need to really be more conscious, right? So uh, I have a friend who teaches, who does seminars on improving worship. And he talks about, he's a song leader, he's a worship leader, song leader. And he talks about what he calls the uh, grocery store song list. So what songs are we going to sing? Oh, I don't know. Oh, you know what? Milk is 369. I got, what's number 369? Oh, that's a good song. I like it. Let's lead 369. You know, that sort of thing. And what he says is, when we have the privilege of leading, singing, prayers, Lord's Supper comments, sermon, whatever it may be, announcements, we should put time and energy and effort into preparing it to be the way God would want it to be and what we need it to be. That's exactly right. Yes, Mm ma'am. So that's a that's a good point, and it's. I don't want to be in danger of doing where I like I like, but but, let's look at First Corinthians fourteen. Paul says there should only be a certain number of people give a prophecy. There's a reason for that. There should only be a certain number of people speak in tongues. There's a reason for that. Everything you do must be about building up. Everything you do must be about edifying. And so I question. I, I say the same thing. I question. If we have five sermons on a Sunday morning, is that building up? I don't think the average human can take in five sermons and leave there with something of value. Now, if you can take notes and you can go home and study it later, that might be the case. And I'm not saying Tony's the most important thing. Sorry, Tony. I'm not saying you're the most important thing. But I do know this. We have a very educated, skillful person that we pay and expect to give us something to challenge us and to teach us. That doesn't have to be the only thing that challenges and teaches. But when I get up to lead, I don't want to take away from that. Because he has thought about for weeks what he's going to bring from the pulpit. And so when I get up to lead a prayer, I certainly don't want to do something that's going to distract from the song leader. right? So for my prayer, I'm going to read this song. Because I think when I get up to lead singing... I'm not going to do anything that brings attention to me or that takes away from what Tony's doing or that distracts from the Lord's Supper, right? It's all about what's good for the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about when somebody gives us a speak that it's all kind of in a line. And so, again, I would say from a, from a church standpoint, it may be at some point as a family that we critically analyze what we do on Sunday morning to see if what we're doing meets what 1 Corinthians 14 says we should be doing. Or do we have five or six people that lead worship and there are five or six different people that have no overlap? Again, I am not saying anybody's more important than the other. I've seen, I've been at congregations where the song leader and the preacher want to argue, you know, they want to get up and prove they're more important than the other one, right? If the song leader goes over, then the preacher's going to preach longer just to show him that he shouldn't have gone, yeah. But if I have a role in worship and leading a family that I'm going to build up, if what I'm doing is not building up, I shouldn't be doing it. If what I'm doing is not edifying, I shouldn't be doing it. And we'd be better off not having that prayer than to do something that takes away from what's going on. Now, Stephen says we don't need to have prayers. No, I'm saying we need to prepare better. 
I'm saying we need to critically analyze what we do and ask, are we taking the feast and remembering what God gave us? Or are we just taking the feast, right? And that's, I think that, that's why I'm, I'm so critical on those of us that get up to lead. It's a privilege to get up to lead. It is not a right. Every person does not have a right and get to get up and lead a prayer, to preach a sermon. Um, not saying we can't train people who aren't skilled or talented. I'm not saying the best person has to do it every time. I don't think that at all. And there are ways for people who aren't very good to get better. There are ways for people that aren't good in one thing to practice. Um, but if I'm doing it for me, if I'm doing it to draw attention to myself, or if I'm doing it because I've got a sermon to teach, and since Tony's teaching a sermon, I'm going to teach my sermon in this other position, i got a problem. i got a problem. And anything I do that is divisive or disruptive, I would challenge as sinful. So anything that I do in leading. So when you get up to lead, you're now in a different category. Because now you got, right, don't teachers, aren't they held to a higher standard in God's word? Yeah. Aren't elders held to a higher standard? Yeah. Those that get up and lead, you have a higher category. You have a higher standard. Please, I, I don't want you to think I don't want people, I want every man to practice and develop those skills and get better at it. But what I don't want us to do is check a box by letting people just whenever they want. Yes, ma'am. So that's the smaller, the, so the best time is when they're lads to leaders, practicing with people that are more mentors. Wednesday night's a great time for somebody to lead a, a song because the Wednesday night crowd will support anybody who leads that song, won't we? They may be off-key and too slow, but we're going to get into it and, and help them, right? So that's what I like about Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. We can give people that opportunity. Maybe they start with the Devo with the teens, or maybe they start with the deep men's Devo on Thursday night. So there's opportunities for that. And they may get up and blow it. That doesn't mean they can't do it again. They may get up and forget what they had to say. That doesn't mean they can't do it again. But... They do need to practice, and they need to have the right mindset. I am less concerned about those that aren't very skilled and more concerned about if we go get up, I'm going to accomplish my agenda, right? So I know I'm not the one preaching, but I'm going to do a 20-minute closing sermon. That's a problem for me. That's a problem because I think that goes against 1 Corinthians 14. And I have to say, why did we do that, right? Now, that may be a little too pointed, but I'm going to be point blank. I, I think 1 Corinthians 14 is there because it's not just about worshiping God. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist. If it was only about worshiping God, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 and following would not exist. It's about worshiping God, edifying and building up. Otherwise, we can't do it. All right, sorry, I went too long. We'll actually get to the Passover plague next week. We didn't get to that this week. Thank you all very much. Please email me if you have any concerns. I'd love to continue to talk about it. Uh, The kids will be coming in. Uh, So thank you all.